Consumer Focus with Martin Newman. Hello and welcome to Consumer Focus, bringing you expert advice and opinions on customer service and the Great British High Street. My name is Martin Newman. I've worked in commerce for over 35 years and I am absolutely dedicated to championing the consumer and helping businesses to develop the best strategies for their customers. Today, I have the privilege of being joined by William Sachiti, the man behind the Academy of Robotics and the changing face of the last mile customer experience. William, thank you for joining. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. I know that you're a successful entrepreneur. Tell me uh, a bit about your background before you uh, started Cargo. Sure. So um, I think I started my entrepreneur journey at about 19 years old. Yeah. I started a small domain registration website called 123 Registration. Yeah. We were amongst the first to do these instant websites and domains. Um, someone acquired it. They thought it was a good idea and it was bought by a larger company. Yeah. Um, and then not long after, I did another startup, which I decided to take to Dragon's Den, um, which was <laughs> digital advertising on outdoor street litter bins. Right. They hated it. <laughs> um, they said I should be wheeled out and taken out in the bin. Um, <laughs> however, um, not everyone agreed. And I was lucky enough to have a big company from Italy get involved. And we ended up licensing this technology to 11 countries. Wow. Um, Good for you. Thank you. Just and shows you what the dragons know. What are they? Hey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then after that, um, I then went into the web space and did a digital sort of a digital concierge type sort of website where we were finding things to do for people. Yeah. And then curating them into a very simple things to do experience that you could buy either abroad or in the UK. Mm. And I think we scaled to about 1.6 million users in the space of three years. Yeah. And Fantastic. then the company, Holiday Company, Secret Escapes acquired us. Right. Um, and then in secret also did a second acquisition just before with one of the big taxi companies, which I cannot name. Sure. So um, that was my fourth exit. Wow. Fourth exit and now heading towards your fifth possibly. Well, we hope. We hope. <laughs> uh, let's get the cars delivering yes. to people first, one yeah. bite at a time. But, um, but yes, we hope it'll be a fifth. Where are the cars being manufactured, actually? Where does it all take, that side of it take place? So all parts of the vehicle, I mean, we start from raw metal to a fully functional vehicle, and mm. it all happens here in the UK. Right. So um, most of our tech team, um, they went to university here in the UK, um, yeah. many at Aberystwyth University uh -huh. in Wales, where I went to university. Um, and we build... That well-known hotbed of artificial intelligence. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, little known fact, <laughs> um, that university um, uh, is known for working on the vision system for the Mars rover. Oh, really? So self-driving oh, cars is yeah. also the next step in computer yeah, vision. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so my tech team all from the UK, um, or studied in the UK, and then all the engineering, um, we hired a amazing team um, from all over here in the UK, and it's... From raw metal, the engineering has done a good composites for the com composition work. Um, the manufacturer, Pilgrim Motorsport. Um, so it's a combination of companies who've come together right. under our umbrella and all under of the us, Academy of Robotics. All yeah. of us now working together to produce these vehicles here in the UK. Fabulous, William. Tell us how on earth did you get involved in artificial intelligence in the first place? <laughs> so I started my entrepreneur journey many years ago, actually, probably about twelve years ago. Uh -huh. And after my last company got acquired, I looked at where the state of technology was right. and what the next thing to do as an entrepreneur is. And it seemed to me, um, it was early days, but it seemed that the direction of all technology was going to go digital more towards artificial intelligence. So what I did is I decided to 
stop everything and go to university as a mature student mm-hmm. to go and study artificial intelligence and robotics. Because the idea was after I've upped my geek credentials, <laughs> I could innovate better for the future. And right. that's how I got into the sector. Amazing. Well, you've certainly upped your geek credentials with uh, your business now. Tell us a little bit about Cargo and, and what was the motivation behind it? So um, I like businesses that solve big problems, the, the largest problem felt by the highest number of people. And in the retail space is a problem I'm sure many know or have, have experienced without knowing it exists. It's called the last mile problem. Essentially, it goes as follows. If you were to buy something online, after you've bought something online, um, shipping it from as far as maybe even China to your local depot costs very little, pretty much pennies. But then when it gets to your local depot, to your house, that is called the last mile, the last mile from your depot to your house. The cost goes up exponentially. Right. Um, And so we know that through automation, this could be solved. Mm -hmm. So my company at the moment is trying to automate that last mile and reduce the cost by up to 90%. Right. So the general idea is that when you buy something online, we will have an autonomous car deliver it to your house in preferably less than 30 minutes. Fantastic. And it's a green solution as well, isn't it? Absolutely. So um, to give you some stats that many people don't know. So did you know that up to 70% of vans in London run at 25% capacity? I did not know that, no. And so what happens is a pressure for the vans to go out as quickly as possible because Mm -hmm. there's next day delivery, same day delivery. So these vans are running around diesel vans, polluting vans, and our vehicle is electric completely. And not only is it electric, it's a small form factor which does all the small package delivery, which is shoebox size or smaller. And this accounts for 80% of all packages. Oh, interesting. So you're not only solving the last mile and solving the green component of that, but you're also solving the issue that the majority of uh, deliveries or, or delivery vehicles are underutilized. And you're solving the issue of... Um, delivering those smaller form packages. Absolutely, because at the moment you'll see it's one van which does big parcels, small right. parcels. Yes. And so we thought, what if we hyper-focus and took the sort of the, the majority, the biggest problem felt by the highest number of people. Yeah. And this equates to the shoebox size and smaller packages. Very interesting indeed. Tell me something. Um, we, we do have a tendency to, I think, overestimate the impact of technology in the short term and underestimate its impact in the long term. So if I were to read or if I were to read all the press articles about autonomous vehicles and look at everything that's been on television in the last sort of three or four years, you would imagine that by today, you know, the, the roads would all already be full of autonomous vehicles. So when realistically, when are we going to see, you know, autonomous vehicles on our roads on a regular basis, do you think? So as someone who works in this space, I would say it's already started, but it's going to be a 10-year journey. Right. Because the lifespan of a car today is you buy a new car and that car's probably going to be on the road for another maybe 10 to 15 years. Uh And what happens is slowly each year more people buy new cars and this 15-year cycle is what it'll take until perhaps the first cars today are autonomous, maybe even cars from last year. And slowly it creeps in, it creeps in. There is another theory, however, that this might come long and fast, a bit like the iPhone. Um, Where this comes from is because a lot of the cars actually do have the hardware to drive themselves. They can self-park. They have the cameras. 
And if someone masters the perfect software, it could be as easy as a software update over the wire. This is why it is believed by some that we might get autonomous cars overnight because most of the new cars do have the hardware anyway. Right. It's just a matter of software. But I think it's probably going to be more gradual and it's slow. like a 10-year journey. Absolutely. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, from a, from a, I guess from a consumer perspective, you know, what's it likely to be like when you're driving on the motorway? Do you, do you envisage a time where there's a lane set aside for, you know, autonomous vehicles? Or how do you imagine it sort of actually, from a pragmatic sense, how do you imagine it materialising on, so, our, on our motorways? Um, for the motorways, I envisage there being a dedicated lane for sure right. um, for faster driving autonomous vehicles. Yeah. But I think what's more interesting is if you go back to the cities, um, I can very easily see places like central London implementing autonomous car only zones. Right. So heavily pedestrianized zones, but with autonomous cars only, much like we have bus lanes at the moment. Right. Um, imagine a, an entire zone where it's Ooh. only autonomous vehicles. Interesting. We shall have to wait and see whether you're right, but uh, I would bet on you probably being right, no doubt, given what you've achieved so far. William, are you able to share what stage of development you're at at the moment with Cargo? Where's where's the car at? Sure. So what we did is um, late last year or mid last year, yeah. uh, we launched the first final version of the car at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Yep. Um, 80,000 people go to this festival. We showed off the car and they loved it. The next stage for us as a company is we're now about to begin our street legal trials. These are trials where we have the road, the actual car on the road with other users in its spectacular spaceship-like form driving on the road, but with a skilled operator who can take control at any time. Right. We're just putting these cars on the road for trials essentially this year this year wow and you're doing that are you trialing with retailers or is that the plan so or? yes we are trialing with retailers um mm -hmm. the reason why you'll likely see autonomous cars for retail first or for logistics first mm -hmm. is because if you if you actually do the stats you'll figure out it's actually the same routes over and over yeah so a logistics route is from the same depot going to the same finite number of roads so this means because it's a finite problem, it's easier for us to predict and work around. So we'll start with autonomous delivery to consumers because the same route over and over. And then over time, as the, end of the, as the year progresses, we extend this ring or this finite route, make it larger and larger and larger. Right, got you. And are you able to share, uh, you may not be able to share, but are you able to share any uh, names of any retailers that are signed up for the trials? Oh, not at the stage I can't. Um, however, it is retailers you've probably heard of before. Yes, household um, names. Household names. I wouldn't want to steal their thunder because um, no. my PR team will be chasing me down. But, okay, um, got you. I'm going to ask the obvious question, which I'm sure a lot of people listening would be asking uh, or at least thinking. Um, and that is, how do you ensure that cargo doesn't injure somebody or worse? Because that's obviously the biggest issue, isn't it, from a from an autonomous vehicle perspective? You know, it's got to work, basically. Otherwise, it's a disaster. So how do you, how do we do that? How do, how's that achieved? So um, we actually have a team dedicated to safety where it is their job to try and find errors and flaws, what could go wrong, where could go wrong. Right. So I'll give you an example of a very simple bit of tech we implemented. We call it the, the sort of the wall of safety. It is a ring of sensors around the car that no matter what is happening as a first layer of security, if anything comes near those ring of sensors, the car will slow down and stop. So if whether it's a person, whether it's it's a a, a 
paper bag or a, a I don't know, whatever object that is unexpected, like a horse even. Um, so it's we won't ever have issues where it's been able, unable to predict what the object is. Yep. Instead, we're always able to stop because we've built a sort of an invisible force field around the car, which means it cannot crash around anything. You must have had to jump through quite a lot of regulatory hoops, so to speak, and maybe you still have to do some of that in order to get the car on the road. Can you talk to these? What sort of what sort of process have you had to go through? Because, I mean, I, I guess it's a whole new area for you know, for government, for local authorities and legislation as well, or legislators. Absolutely. So there are a lot of sort of legislative hurdles to go through. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is these are different in each country. Mm -hmm. So when we're innovating, we know that there's certain things we can't quite do yet in England, but we can do in America or we can do in Germany. Right. So we keep developing anyway, um, regardless, because this is not a UK-only solution. Sure. Prague is a global, global solution. Yeah. But... To answer your question for the UK specifically, in the UK, our Department for Transport put a wonderful guideline for uh -huh. autonomous vehicle makers and testers. Right. This includes things like the vehicle must have a skilled operator who can take control at any time. Right. Um, the vehicle must be insured. It should be a street legal vehicle. So for our vehicle, we then would have to take it through, or take each one through something called an individual vehicle assessment right. because it's a new type of vehicle. Right. But these are some of the processes we have to go through. Yeah. But like any industry, there are processes. If you're going to build a house, there's building regulations, sure. which, which gives regulations to heights and all sorts. Yeah. So it's not too dissimilar. It's not an impossible sort of set of set of rules. Yeah. Um, but it's practical and it makes sense for this industry. And you, you made a comment there about you having to have, and you talked about it earlier, having a skilled operator who can take control at any time. Presumably, once you have a full license and you're operating and you're, you know, your cargo vehicles are on the road... That won't be required, will it? Well, what, will what, it? that's what we're working towards. Yeah. So at the moment, even if we weren't, even if this rule wasn't there that we didn't have to have one in, we yeah. probably would put one in anyway. Right. Because we know our software is 95 plus percent efficient, right? Right. But that 5%, the remaining 5% is very important. And until we get to 99.99, where it's maybe a factor of three better than a human driver, yeah. um, then we won't take, until then, we won't take the driver out. For now, I'd say we match to slightly outperform a human driver. We right. just need to get that to maybe twice as good or Got three you. times as good. And do you see a time when the majority of cars and delivery vehicles on our roads are autonomous? Do you think that will ever happen? I definitely see a time when all the cars are autonomous. In fact, I see a time... All the cars? All the Literally. cars. All the cars. Wow. In fact, I see a time where it is illegal to drive on most parts of most countries and most cities, most motorways. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And how far out do you see that? I, I see this in less than 15 years. 15? 15. One five. I mean, to, to give you an example, really? you've already started seeing seeing it, um, like for perhaps airport shuttle services. Yeah. Some of these, but they, they've become um, dedicated lines for these autonomous vehicles. Yeah. We already have dedicated tram lines. We already have dedicated bus lanes. Mm -hmm. It's literally already so close. And it starts with one small road and then one small town and then one small range until before long, it's entire sections of society where driving is hard. So don't, don't get me wrong. You'll still be able to drive much like London used to be a city of horses and carts. Yeah. Um, you can still ride a horse, but maybe not as, as commonly as you would do today. Right. So it could be illegal in certain zones, basically, which are purely dedicated for autonomous vehicles. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
Got you. Well, that's an interesting vision of the future. I can say as a man who still likes to drive his car, uh, I certainly hope I can still do that in 15 years' time. But uh, I dare say uh, it will be an electric car, if nothing else, that's for sure. Do you see the, I mean, given your given the vision that you've painted there of the future of autonomous vehicles that you reckon within 15 years there'll be many parts of the world where it will pretty much be all autonomous vehicles on the road. Presumably then the car man, you know, the car manufacturers are, will be heading down that path. I mean, where are they in this journey at the moment? Do you know? So with the car manufacturers, it's, it's very interesting. Um, I think they're playing catch up. So the innovators in this space are all the tech companies um, because an autonomous car is technically a tech play. What we mean by this is... Um, it's a computer on wheels, really, more than it is a car. It's, it's, yeah. There's PhDs in artificial intelligence and computer vision that make up an autonomous car. So it took tech companies like Google, Uber, um, to innovate in the space. And what you're finding with a lot of the big car companies now is they are either partnering with startups in this space or they're acquiring startups in this mm-hmm. space. Um, I think Cruise was a startup in this space acquired by GM for 15 billion, Mobileye acquired for a billion. Um, the, I mean, the list goes on. There's quite a few. Um, Otto acquired by Uber for 697 million. Right. These are some of the acquisitions of the space, but it's all a car company acquires a tech company yeah. who's got a team of PhDs in, in computer science. And then this becomes the sort of the R&D department for the car companies. Mm. So they're thinking to do so because I think all of them have some sort of partnership announced in the last 12 months recently with a tech company that does this specifically. Um, But it's interesting to see them not being able to do it internally because it's a completely different product. Yeah, no, I can imagine. What what I'm I'm sitting here thinking that if that really is the future, you know, if 15, 20 years down the line, the majority of us are basically, you know, travelling for me to be in an autonomous vehicle, and I appreciate there may also be uh, flying vehicles uh, in the near future as well. But what I'm trying, what I'm just thinking, thinking out loud, I guess, about is the impact of that on the car manufacturers. Because, you know, at the moment when you're driving your own car, you know, I think there's, you obviously have a much stronger association with the car that you're buying, the brand, the design of the car and everything. And I'm wondering if when we move to a time of autonomous vehicles, it becomes a lot less important because at the end of the day, you're not even driving, you're just going from A to B. Obviously, you'll still. Obviously, I'm. You could still pay for different levels of comfort, but I'm trying to wonder. I'm just trying to wonder what the differentiation might be, and whether it's as important as it is today when we're self-driving. Absolutely. What do, what do you think? So I think it's definitely generational, right? Uh-huh. Where a lot of the younger people, younger consumers. Um, grew up with Uber as their method of transport, where in London, for example, three million people use the app Uber. And to them, it's like a train. You get to a train, you get on, it takes you where you want to, and you leave. You don't want to own the train, but it takes you from A to B. And this is how a lot of the younger consumers see Uber, where they get into an, they press a button, Uber turns up, takes them where they want to, and they get out. And they've not really caught on to, this is mine, this is mine, because it's just generational, I think. So I think, for sure, there is an element of a lot of people want to own a car that's my car, but that is literally being evaporated by just times changing. So I think our habits as people are changing. For instance, myself, um, 
I've always loved having a car. I even own a classic car. And this mm-hmm. year I thought I'm actually getting rid of my car because I just don't need it. There's Uber, so efficient. One yeah. button, A to B. Or my, zip car or whatever. Exactly, yeah. Or zip car or whatever. Yeah. yeah, whatever alternative there are these days. Mm. Um, and do I really need a car? And I am literally parting with it. So are many of my friends, actually. So yeah. I think times will change. Well, that's very interesting because, again, you know, if I were a car manu, if I were one of the car manufacturers, I think I'd be pretty worried about that. You know, in terms of what the long-term implications are of consumers being less driven, literally, excuse the pun, <laughs> less driven and motivated by, you know, individual car brands or design. I suppose it's about the utility. It's about, you know, how comfortable it is, what you can do when you're in there. But I just imagine, I kind of have this vision in my head. If you're right, and I've no doubt, you know, I've I've no reason to to question you given your knowledge in this space, but if you are right in 15, 20 years down the line, we're in autonomous vehicles, they become very ubiquitous. And that's got pretty big implications for the car manufacturers, you know. It does indeed. And not just the car manufacturers, I think for public transport too. And that's the Mm. conversation nobody has very often. So if you could have any car take you anywhere, anytime for next to nothing, Mm. why would you take the train then? Yeah, I think that's a question to be asked. Smarter people than me could figure that one out because I'm not an economist or working. What about flying taxis and flying cars? Because aren't they next? That that must be something you're thinking about given what you're doing with cargo. Absolutely. Um, I think they are a big gimmick and they won't ever see the light of day. Really? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, so this can be applied to drone delivery as well. Yeah. If you've ever imagined getting a delivery via a drone. Yeah. So the reason why I think this is, or myself and my colleagues think this is, is um, so I think the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea tried to, have a, tried to have a bylaw passed to stop people revving their engine too loud or playing music way too loud in their cars mm-hmm. because this passed the noise pollution threshold, as mm-hmm. it was elegantly worded. So if you think about noise pollution, and if you've ever been anywhere near a drone, this is like a helicopter taking off in your backyard, like a <laughs> washing machine at full tilt. Sure. The novelty will wear off so quickly if you live in nice, quiet, leafy Surrey and you can hear these things taking off five times a day to, to serve your neighbours mm. compulsive shopping. Um, so I think it's going to be a noise issue, a social issue right. that will cause it to be impractical to have residential deliveries for things like drones and to have flying cars, because there already is a precedent. Interesting. I'm not sure I 100% agree with you, as much as a visionary as you are. <laughs> um, I, I just, I, ha- I have an instinct that, that drones will play a role in logistics, but it may be, it may be heavier duty drones. It may be that it's more from a kind of B2B perspective. Sure, that, but that means louder drones, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, possibly, possibly. Again, again, I guess it depends on the technology, doesn't it? Yeah. Who I knows? Think, we will see. I think to, to add to that, so the military has spent billions over years to try mm. and make helicopters quieter and quieter. Yeah. Um, this is because stealth, right? To keep a helicopter sure. quiet, you can take it to a war zone and where the noise comes from is it's actually that propeller blade breaking the sound barrier so that that's it's actually mini sonic booms happening so quickly Mm. that's why you can't quieten the down you you can't beat physics unfortunately right okay so i'm yet to see how that will be done cheaply um, but it's not been done with the military's billions yet yeah 
Well, William, you you are a bit of a rocket scientist, so who am I? Who am I to argue? I'll just take your word on that one. I think. Listen, it's been fascinating. Um, before we before we conclude, tell me, you know, just a bit from a consumer perspective. So, once cargo actually hits the road in anger in the next couple of well, in this year on trials, and then eventually uh, maybe the, the year after in twenty twenty one, possibly from a commercial perspective, is that is that the kind of timing? Uh, that that is the correct yeah. timeline. Yeah, we're looking at about maybe twenty twenty one for for proper commercial right. um, a larger rollout, I'd say. And so, what are the what are the consumer benefits? So for a consumer, imagine you've bought that you've bought something online. Yeah. Um, it's two AM and it's freezing cold and you need something specific. Imagine if this was able to be delivered to you in less than thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. Or even better, you've got maybe four parcels that you are expecting. You get home, and then when you get home, you open up your app, an app very similar to a modern taxi app like Uber or Lyft or similar. And then you press one button that says, deliver these to me now. And then 30 minutes later, the product is delivered. So because these cars are designed to be a sort of rolling mini logistics hub, you're able to sort and deliver packages in any order. So for the consumer... When you get home, you press one button, please deliver my packages, and then they'll come to you. So it's on-demand delivery when you want it to arrive. Um, And as I said, preferably less than 30 minutes. So it's consumer empowerment, basically, and and delivering the level of convenience that... Absolutely. Sounds like it's going to take it to the next level. Absolutely. And then one small thing um, as sort of a question we like to pose is, as we progress this technology and we're able to then get a package straight from the factory to your house, then why do we need an extra box within a box for that package? We could just literally put that pack directly as it is into your the back of the car and it comes delivered to you. So you don't have an iPhone with four boxes. It's just your iPhone is original packaging. And that's it. Right. Okay. I see. So you're going to cut down on the environmental implications of packaging, et cetera, as that, well. That is the holy grail. That's what we yeah. want to lead up to. Yeah. But it first starts, and let's first get it to your house in less than 30 minutes yeah. when you want it. Fantastic. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Um, I, for transparency, I think I have to be completely upfront here and say I put my money where my mouth is. And when I, when I came across you, William, and your business and what you were trying to achieve, I thought I wanted to get involved. So I have invested and we shall see. We will watch this space and see what happens. But I think with your track record as a serial entrepreneur, it's incredibly impressive and I certainly wouldn't bet against you. It's been fascinating talking to you. I hope that you've opened up the minds of uh, people listening uh, with regards to autonomous vehicles and what the future holds for those and drones and other related entities. William, thank you for joining. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Sadly, that's all we have time for. Thank you for listening to Consumer Focus with me, Martin Newman, and my wonderful guest, William Suchiti. I hope you'll join me next time to discuss the latest in consumer concerns. Thank you very much. 